Check out the Prestige TV podcast. Mallory Rubin and I were on there this weekend. We broke down the season finale. We crashed. Sean Fantasy, Bill Hader, Sunday night after the comeback episode of Barry. You can find out all about it on the Prestige TV podcast. Find it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car, or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that. Made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell. Now, we're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find the rewatchables. We have a new one coming Monday night. Mallory Rubin and I did one of the great sports movies of the last 35 years, if not all time, A League of Their Own. Just an ageless, rewatchable classic. Did Daddy drop the ball on purpose? We're going to be breaking that down like it's a Zapruder film. Get ready, Monday night, A League of Their Own, the rewatchables, me, Mallory. So there you go. Ringer NBA show, check that out. The Mismatch, check that out if you love NBA content. If you love the Ringer NFL Draft Show, then you'll definitely love the Ringer NFL Draft Guide. All the final mocks are happening. Also on the Ringer Gambling Show, you can get Warren Sharp and Solak and the whole crew. They're going to be doing a final round of props heading into Thursday's NFL Draft. This is one of the great sports weeks we have. I'm super pumped. Also super pumped about this two-part podcast. Me, Rosillo. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Ryan Marcel is here. It is a little after 3.30 Pacific time. Just watched the Warriors lose to the Nuggets. But it was a really enjoyable game. It got me thinking just how much I'm enjoying basketball right now. And I know this is a thing we do every once in a while where we make these lists of I love this, I love that. But I just love the place we're in right now. When you think like this LeBron Durant generation's getting older, like even the Warriors, having them back to where they're an actual title contender. It's just really fun. I didn't know if we were going to get that again with this Curry generation, right? This young Celtics team, Giannis, Joker and Joel Embiid, Booker and CP, Luca, all the rookies we had this year, Edwards, Ja, Trey, it just keeps going and going. Even though this hasn't been like the most dramatic first round ever, I've really enjoyed it. And I think from an entertainment standpoint, the league is out of control right now. What do you see? I just think the top end, yeah, I agree with you. There's there's no disagreement at all. There's some top end stuff that'll happen where you're just like, wait, you know, Giannis had 33 and 18 and seven. 
Right. You know? And was like, dominant yeah. defensively right. again. Right. right. And he could just do whatever he wants. Um, so I, I just, I think it echoes something that we've been talking about through much of the season, the top end, whatever that top group is and however deep it goes. And that's why, you know, we kind of joke around about how many top five guys could you name potentially when we really know it's, it's more of a tier than it is just a strong number that stops after five. But it's, it's why you'll have conversations. You'll hear people talking about somebody from a certain night, like thinking about what Tatum is doing and where Tatum lives and when we first started talking about that, it was kind of like, wait, Tatum's is he like definitively top 10? Now it seems absurd to suggest that he isn't. And that's the immediacy of the playoffs. Maybe it's a little recency bias and all that kind of stuff. But it's just every night when you'll hear about a different guy and where he is in his, in his top neighborhood, it's just because there's so, so many options and so many of these guys putting up insane numbers. Well, we even did this last week with Tatum, right? After that incredible game one of the Nets series. And we're like, wait a second. Was that his application? into that final group because we just watched him go toe-to-toe with Durant and defend him at this crazy, crazy level. Of course, after the Celtics go up 3 nothing, because I guess this is what we do now with sports discourse, it just immediately goes to Durant and people piling on Durant and the Nets and what a disaster this was. I don't feel like this series was necessarily a disaster for them. They were in all three games. Durant is still, in my opinion, one of the 10 best players ever, and he's going against this defense that I know we're going to get into it a little bit. Um, this Celtics defense has a chance to be an all-timer. I think it's in play. And even if you see what they've done to Durant to take him out, he's never had a stretch like this in his career, but they're more than willing to give up uh, all the other stuff to the little guys, right? And they're making the Nets... To score, they have to play these weird lineups that then the Celtics are torching on the other end. It, w- it was just weird to see some of the discourse after game two and game three. I think people were missing how difficult it is to play the Celtics team right now with the smart Jalen Tatum interchangeability on defense that you can't hunt anyone on the Celtics. There's no hunting. They have lineups out there where it's like, all right, what are you going to do? You're just going to go ISO and that's it. Well, great. We stop ISOs. That's awesome. You're going to end up with some three near the end of the shot clock, but for the most part, you're playing in our hands with everything you do. If anything, the Celtics offensively have been slow to get going in these games, which I think is why they've been closer. But 3-0 feels like the right result. What do you see after three games? All right, let me just back up, though, because we're doing this now. We're, we're going to go. Yeah, let's do it right. now. Okay, all right. Because you sent out a tweet, and then you sent it to me, and you said that this series is an IQ test for basketball. So why don't you stay on that? Unless... You don't want to well, do it now. I mean, I, I'm not sure what the plan is. I Let's do it now. I don't understand how people can watch those first three games and their immediate reaction isn't, wait a second, this Celtics defense is unbelievable. What is the ceiling of this defense? How good is this? Wilbon mentioned the 2004 Pistons. I, you know, it's not a long list if you're talking about teams that won the title that really kicked ass defensively if you're just going back 35 years. Like, we had the 89 Pistons. We had the 91 Bulls, which I want to get into in a second. We had the 99 Spurs, which was the lockout season, but it had Robinson and Duncan together, and those guys just wiped out everybody. 04 Pistons. 08 Celtics, mostly. The stats back it up, but the irony of that team was when they really needed points, they would actually sacrifice defense to go with that small ball lineup. And then really since then, I think the Celtics team defensively has a chance to be the best since that 08 team. And you could point to like, oh, what about the Tibbs-Bulls teams? Well, those teams never made the finals. You know, what about the Pacers? Well, they didn't make the finals either. What about those 
Miami teams, like especially like peak Miami when LeBron looked like Kawhi and Pippen. Well, the stats don't really back it up. They were never like first or second in all these different categories. And you go on down the line, the Warriors, I think in 2015, when they could throw out Iggy and Clay and Draymond together, they were pretty good. But even then, the stats don't 100% align with some of the stuff we saw in 89-91. Anyway, my point is, I think the Celtics team has a chance to get there during these playoffs. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not, I'm not predicting it. But I think there's a world in which we look back the same way we did in 91 after the Bulls beat the shit out of everybody. And then we're like, holy shit, that team was really good. But I bet on the Lakers in game three of the finals thinking like, ah, Bulls. That, they, that, now that, And it's just all of a sudden the season was over. And I think there's the potential here for that with this team. All right, we've spent so much time talking about the Celtics. Not a shocker to anybody listening to the podcast. And there was kind of that, that rock bottom point, I think, last year. So yes. even when they were below 500 this year, we were just kind of like, whatever. I, I seriously went through a stretch. It was like, they're not winning. If there was a tie and then somebody else in the 7 o'clock Eastern window, I'd be like, I already know what it is. I don't need to watch yep. it. And this turnaround has been one of the all-timers for a, che- a team's personality. We can talk about Josh Richardson not being there and Schroeder not being there, which I think helps, but it's still the main guys and the personality seems to be different. I'd suggest, too, that there were times, despite smart winning defensive player of the year, I thought defensively he was still kind of inconsistent in other seasons. Me too. Where, you know, it almost reminded me a bit of the Tony Allen thing. Like, Tony Allen, all-team first defense. There was a stretch when Tony Allen was in Boston. I wouldn't exactly call him a locked-up guy. I, you know, and I don't, I don't know what that was. Even Doc Rivers had said it at some point, right? Yeah. So, I, I think, if, you know, at times when you're closer to it, like we would be, you can be worse because <laughs> I going into the series, You'd be more all critical. The right? Because of the numbers and how absurd this turnaround has been, I think there was still a small lingering part of me going, "What if? What if Durant just does what he did against Milwaukee?" Well, well realizing too is that Milwaukee was not as smart defensively as the Celtics are, and as you point out, the Celtics have all other than Pritchard having these little spells, but he's not missing any shots. So even if you think you want, well, all those him, shots are wide open. Yeah, like I, right. it's not like he's, you know, heat checking. He's just taking wide open shots and making them. But like there is there have been possessions. I think they are doing I know we'll get to the Durant thing uh, bigger in a, you know, a bigger chunk of what we're doing here. But like there was a time where Kyrie wanted to run pick and roll with Durant to get Durant switched. And he had Grant Williams and they switched him into Jalen. And I yeah. thought, wait. That doesn't make any sense. But then again, at the same time, I'm like, well, Grant's still really good. Like He holds up, and by the way, he makes all of his shots, but I'd still think you'd maybe want Grant further away from the hoop to try to get Durant to be able to create and go side to side on him. Um, this defense is so good, Bill. You're going to love this. It's going to be your favorite thing I've ever said. Do you remember what it was like in the early years of learning about Belichick where if the Pats were down 14-10 or something at the half, you just go, well, whatever. Belichick's just going to figure out and make adjustments. It was the craziest thing to watch that every Sunday in the beginning and go, oh, that's right. I'm not even worried. Like, I'm not remotely right. worried. Like, they'll get they'll a stop fig- when they need it. <laughs> they'll figure it out. And it happened all the time. Even with some of the bad offensive stretches from Boston, this level that they're at defensively, like, it's if you're, a, if you're a big, big-time Celtics fan, you're almost calm in a scenario where you normally wouldn't be calm because there's this bankable thing that you have with how good they are defensively. And the big thing that's flipped, I mean, Smart went to another level about four months ago. But the big thing that flipped, especially in this series, is what Tatum's doing at Durant. And if you leave game three and you just start piling on the Durant, I'm going to sound like a Durant apologist, but I don't think people fully realize 
how hard Durant is, is being made to score when he's 25 feet from the basket, being dumped the ball. He's just got these shooters around him. And for the most part, he's at Tatum. Chris Forsberg had a stat. Tatum's defended Durant on 121 possessions in these three games. Durant scored 10 points when he's been one-on-one with him. Two for 15 field goal, 0 for 3, 0 for 4, 3 point, 10 turnovers, two shooting fouls. The level that Tatum has gone to defensively has been the most shocking thing in the playoffs to me. I mean, honestly, he's he's looking like like edging on like this Pippen Kawhi level every play, play after play. He's like a maniac, but still has time to 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 have some offense. I never thought he could do this. Did you? I never saw this level of defense from him in my life. But I think this is where the Durant part of it kicks in, where I agree with you. It's been really hard for him. And, and now this team is absurd with the long twos. They took the most long twos in any game they've taken. They took the most in game two, and then they broke that record in game three. And they took a the ton Nets. in game one. It was, that right. was the, the theme out of game one. So they're, they're not hitting threes. Um, excuse me. They're actually making their second most. They're, not, they're just not taking them. Like they're yeah. not taking them the way they, even though they're hitting them. The rebounding rate's atrocious in the playoffs so far. The Durant Kyrie pairing that's, you know, pretty locked in 500 plus minutes in the regular season at like 123 per 100 possessions is down to like 110, 111, I think. So, um, I, I, the problem is, and I know it's just, it's what it is though. Like if Durant's that guy who I've suggested is when he's right, still better than everybody else, you can't have a game like yesterday where he has three shots and Bruce Brown has 12. Um, that, well, don't you think, but don't you think now this is both the defense and a criticism. I think what the Celtics are doing have actually knocked him out of a rhythm in like a crazy way. Like it reminds me a little bit of like the Pats against Peyton Manning in the, in the 2003, 2004 range where two Belichick seems, references. Thank you. He seems discombobulated John Schumann had a piece. He did like top five takeaways from game three. And he had some clips of just decisions Durant made that looks like he's, you know, like a Pac-12 freshman who's the best guy in the team who's never, you know, is going against 40 minutes of hell or whatever and just the making these dumb decisions. They're really the weird. In game three are atrocious. I mean, they're really awful. Bad. They, he's passing to people that aren't even there. Kyrie and Durant combined for 32 points. The Celts scored 37 alone just on the turnovers. So they're yeah. terrible. I, you know, this is going to be funny because I remember this. Like, you remember when Rick Buecher, Buecher was, well, he was, he was, he was a Kobe guy, so he wasn't a LeBron guy. You know, yep. he came on the show. He said, LeBron's more of a glue guy. He's not a star. We like lost our shit on it. The other take that Buecher used to have was always the, the Westbrook's actually the guy and Durant doesn't work hard enough. And mm. you're like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's, but he was, it was funny because it always felt like he had like, Whatever the pairings were, there'd be somebody he liked, and then he kind of was like, he was a Westbrook guy, he wasn't a Durant guy. There were times, yeah. I think maybe going back to some of those series, even with Memphis, where you'd be looking at Durant going, hey, you got to work a little bit harder to get the basketball. I know Westbrook's not a joy, and we still hadn't really fully understood or discovered what it was to be Westbrook all the time, you know, as, as we were talking. I mean, we're talking years prior, right? Before they well, no, that was the, the big criticism for right. him, was he didn't go get the ball and try to figure out just how to create. Exactly. I think there's some of that in this. You're right. It's totally thrown him off. He needs to be better. But I don't know that they do a great... Look, the entry pass is an endangered species, okay? Like, mm. when you see one, you're like, holy shit, kids, come into the living room. I'm going to rewind it. This is an entry pass, and it's really good. 
<laughs> that they have three guards out there and none of them can get him the ball when he's 10 feet for the basket. Do you see the stat where he only has six points in the paint in three games? Yeah, so all of it's bad. And I do think that even though your take of how, how amazing this Boston offense, that's just not going to fly. Those aren't the rules. It's not what we've all signed the up Boston for. The Boston defense, if, yeah. If Durant is... As, and it, look, it's been a really weird three games here. And they're not even close. They're not winning this series. Boston is this good defensively. But that's that's what the talk shows are going to do. And I think some of it still is fair because you just you need agree. to figure it out, right? You need to, If LeBron had those kinds of games where he was that passive taking three shots, he'd get killed. So um, it, it, this well, whole playoffs, by the way, this whole playoffs, I feel like no matter if you if you've been down on almost any single guy, you can point to a game, which I want to do with you later. Like you can point to somebody being like, ah, I knew this guy wasn't any good. Look how bad he was in game three. Like 10 guys have had games like that already. And we're not through the first round. When we did this a week ago and I just come back from the game and I was telling you, I couldn't believe what they were doing at Durant, how physical they were with him. And I think in a lot of ways, physicality has been the kryptonite for him over the course of his career, right? The teams that were able to really knock them around, it could, they could at least get a little bit of an advantage. Sometimes it's a bad matchup. And I think this Celtics team is just a bad matchup for Brooklyn. Like you think about everybody's had a bad series. LeBron 2011 finals, 18, seven and seven. That was his finals. average. Yeah. 48, 32, 60% splits. That's Westbrook's average now. Kobe 04 finals, 23, three and four. 38% shooting, took a ton of shots. Curry, 2016, finals, 23-5 and 4. Durant, in this series, 22-5 and 5, 37%. It's the turnovers that has have been the weird thing, though. His kind of inability to solve it. And I thought, I actually thought Stan Van Gundy on Twitter made a really good point where he said, the NBA playoffs are not pickup games. You can't just throw a team out there Teams must grow, build chemistry, trust, mental toughness over 82 games. I do think that's a big part of this. You know, you had you had this team, it was basically thrown together. You have Dragic, who wasn't even on the team until eight weeks ago, who's now out there in big moments. And same thing for Curry. And Kyrie's only played 20 games with this group in the regular season anyway, or 25, whatever it ended up being. And to me, they just seem like a team that's been thrown together. They don't like when they brought in Blake Griffin in game three, I was amazed. I was like, wow, we're at this stage already? Like, the Blake Griffin, cross your fingers, hope Blake makes a couple plays, which he made a couple threes, got killed on defense. I just don't think they have any answers. You look at you look at their numbers, Curry's playing 31.7 minutes a game. Brown's 38.3. Dragic and Mills are 36.3 combined. Kyrie's at 42. It's KD and a bunch of short guys and either Drummond or Claxton. And against this Celtics team, that's a bad matchup. It is. Yeah, but these are the rules. So, KD, like, this is, he's, nobody's, you're not allowed to be like that. You're not allowed to have a game three if you're Kevin Durant. It doesn't matter about what the defense is. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not Jimmy right. Butler. You're Put not the DeMar team on DeRozan. Your back. You're fucking Kevin Durant. So, you know the deal, even if you're right, Bill. And I'm telling you, like, there's some special stuff. I agree with you what's going on with defensive. But the conversations, this is not, this is not how it works for Durant. Well, where's and, Kyrie in this whole conversation? Now I sound well, like a Durant apologist, but Kyrie just, <laughs> game two, game three, Kyrie was out to lunch. I mean, no, classic, had that it, same look on his face that he had in 2019 against Milwaukee. No, and his his quotes after, you just start going like, are you the least, 
aware person ever where he's like, well, they've been rolling. They know who they are. We're, we're still trying to figure out like we haven't had the same luxuries as Boston playing together. We're like, no shit. No yeah. way. I like, wonder whose fault that was. <laughs> um, let's take a break. I want to keep talking about Kyrie. Make every playoff game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. They're hooking you up with free bets throughout the playoffs. Doesn't matter if you're a new customer or already have an account. Be sure to check out the app for exclusive weekly same-game parlay promos. For instance, if you think the Celtics are not only going to sweep the Nets, but lay the smackdown on them and win by double figures, well, you can bet Celtics to win by 11+. plus. Tatum, Brown, and Smart all to make 1-3. And that gets you to plus 464. That is what we call, my friends, a same game parlay. FanDuel has so many new ways to play. When you win, you get paid faster than a fast break. And if you're new to FanDuel, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Sign up with promo code BS. Again, promo code BS. And if you already have an account, you're all set to get in on the action. Either way, you'll get an assist from FanDuel when you bet a same game parlay during the playoffs. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA, must be 21 plus in select states. Refund issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet, $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Connecticut, 888-789-777. In Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Michigan, 800-270-7117. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for Confidential Help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 800-889-9789. And in West Virginia, 1800gambler.net. So the Kyrie piece of it, and I, I know this is, we always do the regular season versus the playoffs thing. Regular season, people are looking for storylines and we talk about how incredible Kyrie is and there was a lot of stuff about, are these the two most gifted offensive players who have been on the same team and stuff like that. I, I'm swinging the other way. I think Kyrie now, we have a pretty big body work that he is just not reliable to pay a max contract to. There's way more evidence that if you're trusting this guy, if you're really counting on him, you probably can't. And we saw in game two and game three, um, when KD, this is this series is a bad matchup for him. Whether we're saying he's underachieving or whether he's a guy who's in his 15th year of the league and maybe the Celtics are a little too young and too athletic for him at this stage of his career. And this is a bigger sign of kind of where KD is at this point in his career, maybe. But the Kyrie piece, he's Kyrie's we're the whole Kyrie thing was he's supposed to be able to score against anybody. Nobody can guard Kyrie. Most naturally gifted offensive guard we've had. Where's he been? And does he want to be there? And would you pay him? He's a, he's got this contract coming up. Stephen A did this whole thing on his uh, on Countdown today about how he he should only be paid year by year. I think I agree. Maybe every two years, would you give Kyrie a max from what we've seen the last five years? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. But as I remind all of us all the time, what are your options? And it's hard to get these guys. And the other part of Kyrie. Like what is, how does Durant feel about it? If Durant wants you to pay him, then you're going to pay him. And then you're going to talk yourself into it. You say, oh, we have Ben Simmons coming back. And it's the same thing as the Harden thing. You think I want to pay him 60 plus million in 2027? Of course not. But I also don't want to then say no to that and pretend I'm going to be able to pull something else off in the next two or three years. So 
I agree with you on the surface, but the market will dictate that Kyrie's going to do better than that. Hell, right before this series, Bill, or even after game one, you're watching, because remember when it was, there's no market for him. Nobody would want him once they realized he wasn't going to be playing home games. That was totally gone after game one. Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) however bad this ends up being, they get swept. He has a couple more quotes that don't make any sense. And whatever like they're probably still going to say well, what are what are our options what actually is better for us in this well if i'm if i'm trying to salvage this we don't know how game four is going to go but i think we have a decent idea considering the body language and the way the nets i thought kind of rolled over down the stretch that made the half hard to come back later it was too late but if you just look at it objectively game one they're up five 107 102 with 422 left Game two, they're up 92-85 with 10 minutes left. Game three, there's less than eight minutes left. Celts are up four. It's not like, like if I'm Chicago and I'm coming out of that Milwaukee series, I'm way more stressed out about what what is the future of our team. I know Caruso got hurt and, you know, I know you don't have Lonzo, but just in general, like, how do we beat Giannis? I would come out of that series and be like, Jesus, what's our... What's what's our strategy? Because we just got our ass kicked. If you're Brooklyn, you're like, well, if we get Simmons back, COVID's over, Kyrie gets to play a full season, um, maybe we have a better chance against Boston. You could talk yourself into it, right? And then you all of a sudden you're re-signing Kyrie for three years, 150 million. Yeah, that's probably what will happen. Maybe it's a different coach. I don't know. I think what Nash has had to put up with through this hasn't been a blast. Um, that was another thing that was on yesterday about, about a Steve Nash. Is he, this it for him? Is he going to get bounced? It bounced. Who had a, who had a tougher last two years of, of coaching things thrown at him than Steve Nash? Would you want to coach this team? What would your plan be with the players he has? If I were Steve Nash and made 150 million in my career, I, I would find better. better You'd move on my time. Yeah. I would be like, you think he's jealous of like JJ Redick on countdown and first take is like, man, that looks so much easier than what it would have gone through dealing uh, with these guys. Uh, you know, and that when when it's left to like, oh, I can't believe they put Blake out there. They're trying to figure out anything. They're trying to do yeah. anything to get spacing and Blake actually is making threes. The problem is he can't move on the oh other end. It was like, oh, hey, Blake's out here. All right. Torch in this. They, <laughs> they played a group in game three that had never played a game together. Like they'd never had minutes together ever. And yeah. some of the spacing stuff worked in game two with Brown and Dragic going for 30 combined in the first half. But if you're Boston, you go, that's probably not happening in the second half or maybe even at any other stretch of this playoff series. So we'll live with that. And then the other great adjustment, like Boston's made adjustments, but Boston's had better options for adjustments. You know, it's funny how people get mad about adjustments. Well, putting Blake in was an adjustment. <laughs> Right. (laughs) It just didn't really do much for you on the defensive end because you usually have somebody there that you can attack um, if you're Boston on the Brooklyn side of it. I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen because, you know, if you look at Kyrie and the Durant part of it, they clearly didn't like the Kenny Atkinson vibe. Uh, I also think that when you're a certain stature as a player, if you're just not that guy, it's kind of like when everybody was saying, get rid of Spolster and have Riley coach again. Like people just have a hard time with other people that don't have the resumes. Yeah. And so Atkinson falls into that category. He gets bounced. And I think Nash was like, you guys can kind of do your own thing. And now it's on on them. To, they've been kind of allowed to, to be isolation players because it's worked. The offensive numbers were really good when those two played together. But now, Yeah, but you're the one who hates that. You're the one who talks about when we get to the playoffs, there's that certain style that becomes a lot harder to pull off. 
And I think even though it's two guys instead of one with the Nets, same thing, right? It's somebody it's dribbling. Two. Yeah. Yeah, but it's t- it's either one of them just dribbling as the shot clock's winding down, trying to create a shot. There's not a lot of ball movement. Their assists were, I think, what were they, like 18, 19 assists lower than the Celtics for these three games. But just in general, fourth quarter, especially when Boston would ratchet up the defense, it became the one-on-one stuff. And I don't know. I'm always going to like my chances against that if I have a good defense. I think that you need really great isolation players still to advance in the playoffs because things break down and everybody becomes more predictable. But you've got to throw some some other actions out there. There has to be something that makes me think of you differently defensively instead of five sets of eyeballs all on Durant as he's at the break, you know, looking at all of these guys. And you're like, hey, figure it out. (laughs) It also kind of speaks to how crazy the Milwaukee thing was last year because this was not what Milwaukee did with them. And it still almost worked. Well, I wonder, so Durant's year 15... 939 regular season games, 154 playoff games. It's over 40,000 minutes. He's had two major injuries. Got injured this year, too. Um, 37.2 minutes a game this year. He's averaging 42 in the playoffs, which in my opinion is ludicrous. Like you would, you would ultimately, in the ideal situation, you want him around 33, 34. Maybe we shouldn't be shocked that he's entering a different stage of his career. I think LeBron, one of the things I was wondering is like, has LeBron just ruined our brain's ability to process that NBA players are supposed to get old and right around year 15, year 16, year 17, you're supposed to start moving in a different phase of your career? When LeBron was in year 15, what year was that? He came in the league 03. So that was his 2018. That was when he was like the one-man show against, you know, taking the Cavs to the finals and he had his big 51-point game and game one, all that stuff. Maybe he and him and I guess Chris Paul to a lesser degree, maybe we just assume that these guys can't start to get old. Because the Durant in the in the three games we saw, to me, seemed a little bit old. It wasn't just like the Celtics were discombobulating in his head. It was like he had somebody, Tatum, who's just at the peak athletic whatever he's ever going to be in his entire career. You watch Giannis against the Bulls, that guy is at the peak athletic apex that he's ever going to be at. Peak athletic apex. I think peak and apex are the same thing. Sorry about that. We get the um, point, though, because it's a lot of emphasis. You know what I mean? You're in your mid-20s. It's just different. Durant in 2012 going against LeBron is probably going to be able to play 45 minutes a game in the finals and, and feel fine at the end of the five games. This Durant will not. He's had, he's had some work done. Broken foot. Major knee thing. He's had two different MCL things. He's seven Achilles. feet tall. And the Celtics are just beating the shit. And the Achilles. The Celtics are uh, beating the shit out of him. And I, I, to me, he looks like a guy who's starting to look like the like his peak, his apex might have, the last tail end of it might have been last year. I, it's a hard argument to uh, go against right now after these three games. You know, shot getting blocked a couple times too. We were like, what the hell is right. that? And Tatum even said like, oh, I think I got lucky. As he was almost suggesting like, don't say anything here. That mm. could that could motivate him. But I would, I think we all, after the Achilles though, saw him and going, this guy's nuts. Like he was the MVP for a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. I mean, people wanted, I saw something about the Nets going, oh, here we go again with these seven, eight seeds because of the Lakers last year. And it's somebody I like, so I forget who said it. And, like, yeah, but when Durant went down, Brooklyn was a one seed. 
So it wasn't like they were the seven seed coasting with these guys playing 70-something games. They're making yep. dudes. They were a one seed basically because of him. And yeah. so that was all this year. Put so a lot of miles you, on him. You might be right, but you're you're so early on the short call here. I don't know if you'll be able to cover the premiums. Right. <laughs> That's well, that, I, I just look, I, I've I've been guilty of the Durant when you really think about offensive things and options that you have versus what Giannis have. Like I still would rather have the Durant package. I'm not gonna make that argument anymore. I may think it. I'm not gonna make it out loud. I'm just not gonna make it out loud anymore. Cause I might I might just I felt really good about it for a long time. And this is not the week to be doing. Well, I think that's maybe the biggest takeaway from round one. If we're talking like whatever group you want to have with that top tier is that it would, I had Giannis 1A, Durant 1B, but I just know next round, they're not going to be able to do this to Giannis. So the argument kind of naturally solved themselves when it's Celtics, Milwaukee, Giannis is going to figure out how to, a way to affect that game on, on both sides of the court, no matter what defense the Celtics are throwing at him. He's also seven years younger than Durant, eight years younger than Durant. So this is the phase of his career where he should be able to figure that. Same way the Durant in 2017, was 35 a game against the Cavs in the finals, like peak of his powers. I think Giannis is at the peak of his powers right now. How bad is this Brooklyn decision looking for Durant? So I'm glad you brought that up. I I actually feel bad, even though this was all his fault. <laughs> I feel bad for him. It's like it's like having a friend who has like the the bad quickie marriage, where you're just like you're trying to be supportive, but deep down you kind of know how it's going to turn out. I think with Durant, um, the Kyrie thing, there were all of these red flags. I mean. Red flags galore. People in Boston, you know, that was so funny about Durant when he was talking about Kyrie and it, with, with the Boston fans and he was saying how, you know, when you've loved someone, you know, you still feel that pain when they leave or whatever the hell he said. It was like, people wanted Kyrie to leave. Nobody wanted him to stay. And the same thing with Cleveland. Like, I, I don't think there were tears shed when he left the Cavs um, and, and Durant just couldn't resist him. And then he's like, let me bring my buddy James Harden into this. And then, you know, we'll never know what happened in October, November. Somebody will write a great book about it, right? Where I, from all the intel I have, which I think is pretty good, it's hard and like, what the fuck? Kyrie's not going to play? What the fuck did you get me into? And then KD being mad that Harden wasn't in shape and just things start splintering all of a sudden four months later, Harden's on Philly. I think that's what happened. Seems reasonable. He deserves all the criticism. Didn't you, by the way, and I don't want to give it away here, but I remember when it was like we were hearing it was going to happen. And I knew at the time, I don't know if you're, I, I don't feel as if you're as close with Durant's camp as you were at one point. Is that I'm not. Yeah. No, okay. Not but since there like was, I read thing. Right. So, okay. Because I think you and I were talking about, so set me straight here and go as deep into it as you need to go into it. But we knew, we kind of knew it was going to happen. And then you and I are talking and I was like, hey, you're close to the camp. Do they, do they believe you when you say you, you probably don't want to hit your wagon to Kyrie? Or do they think you're just Boston guy who is making it up? I think that's what, <laughs> I think that camp thought, oh no, this is just Boston trying to disparage him. Not, not just me, but just in general. Like, oh, yeah. so he could have made it here and Kyrie wasn't, and that just went apart. But I think Kyrie and KD are really close. I think they wanted to play together. I think they're oh, buddies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if I, they I, were just like, we'll figure this out. 
Yeah, I think um, that's very clear. That's very clear. The hardened part sucks, though, because then that doesn't come through. And then you're thinking, all right, well, maybe you have something different with Simmons, who in a role with those two guys should actually be able, in a, in a good version of it, pr- provide you something real here. Um, because Well, let's talk, t- let's talk about that, though, the Ben Simmons okay. piece of this. Which part, long term or right now? You and I were very suspicious as that trade was being happening, as that trade was going down. And people are like, man, when you throw Ben Simmons in here, oh my God, he's really the natural third guy. And I think anybody who watches this stuff was going, wait a second. You mean Ben Simmons, the guy who just disappeared for the last eight months? Do we sure he loves basketball? Should we hold his playoff performance against him? I kind of feel like we should. What are the reasons he wants to leave Philly? What did they do exactly? Just a lot of skepticism. And once they made the trade, everybody's like, well, when they get Simmons in, watch out. And now, you know, we started making fun of this a couple of weeks ago. The Ben Simmons is targeting the latter half of the Boston series. Ben Simmons is targeting game five or game six. Ben Simmons is targeting game four. And I was on this podcast going, I'm targeting, you know, having some winning stock picks tomorrow that'll make a lot of money. What, what does the word target even mean? Now they fall down three, nothing. All of a sudden his back hurts. He's not playing. So we won't see him again this year. I am not surprised. You can't. You couldn't have been surprised when you heard the news. No, never surprised about that part of it. I think he likes going to the games, though. He seems to be having a blast going. I saw. Yeah, I got to see him rebound in game one during the halftime layup line. But I'm definitely guilty of something that I, I guess you don't connect with at all. That I I thought with him in a best case scenario with Brooklyn was a lot better for him because in Philadelphia when Embiid's getting doubled and people are running at him like crazy, you're expecting Agreed. the other star to get you out of that, to fix some things offensively. And he had no interest in ever developing anything that would allow him to create. Everything had to be off of somebody else or in transition and that kind of stuff because he wasn't going to hit any shots. With Brooklyn, he would never, you would have thought in a perfect world, the best case scenario, KD and Kyrie, that wow, to ra- you know, Simmons can do some of this Claxton stuff. He can bring the ball up. He can initiate. You know, Maybe he's better with the entry passes because he can get in, even though I don't know that I saw a ton of that in Philadelphia anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something though about KD because this was really interesting. I had two 14 year olds stay with me for the last week, so yeah. we can do a, we can do a little non parent parent corner later if you want to. Um, I've known one of the kids his whole life, and then his buddy came along, right? Yeah. So huge NBA obsessed, obsessed. Just all we did, just constantly pepper each other questions the whole time. And I'm like, all right, who are your guys? And they're telling me who they liked and who they didn't like. You know, it's these guys play basketball. It's it's hilarious. It's fun to talk about. And we got to KD, and they were like, nah. And I went, wow. I go, so what? Because the Golden State thing? He's like, yeah, man, cupcake. And I was like, wow. wow. Yeah, I do think. Wow. So and weird that he gets that and nobody else does. So having said that, like, when you look at the Brooklyn scenario, and you go, why would you have done this? It's because he did what he did in Golden State, and more people still were pissed at him and hated him. Yeah. So he felt like he actually was oh, doing no, that, his own yeah, thing. That's so hundred percent why so, he did it. Yeah. And he and wanted I his own think, place. Right. He wanted to be the best guy in a title team in a, a situation that he created advantageously to him. I mean, we've been over all this stuff, so I don't want to belabor it, but just I mean, did you actually think you were gonna go to that Golden State team after what they did in fifteen and sixteen? And everyone's be like, Yeah, this is awesome. Like you're Yeah, but you gotta go back to where he was in sixteen, what his options were, which were basically Boston. Uh, a Knicks dumpster fire, a Lakers dumpster fire, or Golden State. And the chance, I think he just, want, he wanted to get so badly away from Westbrook 
yep. and just try a new city and try a new version of whatever life he wanted. I think he wanted to go to the Bay Area. They had a whole business stuff they were trying to figure out. And it made sense. I don't think he ever intended to be there more than three or four years. I think what changed with him was after that first year when he went toe-to-toe with LeBron, LeBron he won the finals MVP and then was still Curry's team. And I think once that happened, the breadcrumbs were being laid to, I have to leave and I have to go somewhere else. But I still feel like, I feel like this is one of the great what ifs. I remember I did my what ifs chapter in 2009 in my book and I did like the 33 biggest what ifs in history. I think this is now like a top 10 what if for me in the history of the league. What if Draymond doesn't get suspended before game five? There's just so many, so many directions that we go in because of that one thing. Because I think the Warriors go back and watch game four on YouTube. That series was done. They won in Cleveland. They're going to win in game five. The momentum of it flipped. Bogut gets hurt. All these different things happen. Kyrie and LeBron go off. But if he doesn't get suspended, they win game five. He can't go there. And if he can't go there, either he just want, he re-ups with OKC for one more year or he maybe goes to Boston. I don't, Whatever. That's a huge what if then Kyrie never makes that shot. And Kyrie has been dining on that shot now for six years. It's like those three games that he had and that big shot he's made makes him a little bit immune to criticism. It's like, well, he hit the, you know, he hit the game-winning shot in the finals over Steph Curry, 45 in game five. So people point to that and it becomes much harder to kind of point out all the stuff you'd point out if you're trying to criticize Kyrie. But you have that side, you have the whole... What what do the Warriors look like the rest of the decade? And on and on. There's just, I think, so many ramifications just from that one suspension that we'll be looking back at it 20 years and be like, holy shit, look at all these things that happened from that. I will never be convinced, and I know he said it himself, that once they blew the 3-1 lead that he was talking to, was it Rich, where he was like, hey, we can do this. Like, we could actually potentially do this. Yeah. I think those conversations, the tea leaves, the stuff that's happening since the very beginning of the year. And then remember, Woj even had the report on, I think, yep. February that year. He did. I will never be convinced that he only went there because they blew the 3-1 lead. And I know all the evidence and what he said publicly. That which team, uh, the OKC blew the 3-1 or Golden State? Because you needed St- both of those things, right? You needed the Clay Thompson no, I'm talking, game first. Right. And then you needed the Golden finals. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about Golden State because... Um, and I know there's no, there's very little evidence that suggests that I'd be right about this because it's what happened. It's everything you just said. And then he, I've seen, where was he? He was in some panel somewhere and he brought it up and he was like, oh, as soon as it happened, I started realizing like, oh, maybe I can do this because if they'd won, I'd not been able to go. Uh, I don't know. There's part of me that still thinks maybe he would have gone even if they hit Pete Cavs at 16. Yeah. Like I'm joining a dynasty. This is the maybe. logical next move. This isn't just a basketball move. It's a business move. Yeah. I, I maybe. Tech. I love Silicon Valley on HBO. <laughs> it's a great show. Really funny. A lot of laughs. Yeah, I think part of the thing with Durant in 2016 was he didn't have really any great options. It was because the Knicks and the Lakers and the Nets, the the two big cities we have, were in such a train wreck of a basketball situation. The Clippers didn't have the cap space for him. And it was just kind of, you know, all of a sudden it's like, ah, Draymond's texting him. Curry's just, texting him. Look, and just think, what, five, six years later, you don't even need to do it. You take the max from OKC, you don't cost yourself a dollar, and then you lose in 17 with Westbrook somewhere, and then you go, hey, guess what? Now I want out. 
I think that's how badly he wanted out. Well, then the other thing is he did a five-year extension instead of four with OKC. And really, he should have been a free agent in 2015. I think they were better. If you go back, I think there were better options in 2015. So, um, And the cap spiking and all that, which is the cap only spikes they really helped the whole thing. A couple more um, Celtics-Nets thing. Actually, let's take a break. couple more Nets-Celtics notes. You know, there's been, there's been a lot of Tatum taking the torch from Durant kind of stuff, including, I think we talked about it last week on this pod. I guess my question is, is he taking the torch more from Kawhi as the best two-way traditional forward we have in the league? Because to me, the defense is such a big part of the Tatum story. I mean, Nobody's going to be... Durant is the best scoring offensive forward that I think we're going to have in my lifetime. Tatum will never reach those heights. But I think he could be a better defender than Durant. I think he's as competitive as Durant was. I'm convinced that he could be the number one best guy in a championship team. And he's really more like Kawhi... What he's doing in these games is more in that Kawhi 2019... You know, what... Maybe somewhere between what might have happened if he hadn't gotten hurt that one San Antonio year, but really that Toronto year and what some of the stuff he showed with the Clippers before he got hurt. But that's the torch. What do you think of that theory? I like it. I just, I wonder if you're being dismissive of peak defensive Kevin Durant or if we feel like Tatum just holds up better. I just think, I don't like comparing anyone Durant. I, I think he's one of yeah. the all-time unicorns we've had. I don't think you compare anyone to the seven foot dude that could just score from all over the place for 15 years. And the easily could have is, 55 points in game four for all we know. It's almost like an opposite trajectory though of Kawhi where Tatum was offense first and then it was super offense with this defense. Yes. Where Kawhi was defense first and then you're like, how good is this guy going to get? You're like, oh wait, he can just dribble to the elbow. Go right, really it's slow, like the bizarre then, version of that. You're right. <laughs> right. And then he can just make everything. And then there was probably, to be fair, there was a nice little stretch of Kawhi living off of the rep where you yeah. started paying closer attention to some stuff. You know, is he really, is he really Mr. Two-Way still? But then he was making every single shot. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a good one. I, I think Tatum has more, has more of an offensive thing that he, like, I think there's a, a wider variety of buffet options on offense than, than Kawhi offensively. Slightly but, better offense. Kawhi's the best defensive perimeter guy. It's him and Pippen. P- and yeah, maybe Kawhi. Yeah, Pete Kawhi yeah. is still higher. But I I just, to me, Tatum was the story from those first three games, the way he defended Durant. I just can't, I did not know he had it in him. And I've no, been watching crazy. him every game. I didn't know he could get to that level. And even the defense he played on that, uh, the miracle stop right before the Tatum layup when the Kyrie thing breaks down, but KD still had the ball with four seconds, five seconds left. And Tatum read like each move he had and was in and didn't foul him. And uh, I don't know. I just think there's some Kawhi, as you said, like a little bizarre version of the Kawhi thing. The other, another note of the smart thing. I don't know if we fully talked about it, how funny it is that they tested all these point guards and then the, the, the guy who was the point guard was the guy who was on the team the entire time. We were on this podcast talking about, you know, what I would make the case where you can't break up Brown and Tatum. Please don't do that. I just want to see him with a real point guard. I was saying this in like December. What ha- what would happen if they had been able to trade for Chris Paul, somebody like that who could, you know, some sort of leader that could get... And then he was on the team. 
smart. He was there. And they, they were just constantly either playing him off the ball or he was the backup point guard or they didn't, whatever. And, and now he's emerged as, I don't know, man. I mean, certainly the best he's ever played, but I did not. This is another thing. I watch this team all the time. Did not see this coming. No, I, I can't believe that part. That's probably the craziest part about the whole thing, you know, because I always felt like smart. And this is, uh, I would say, a slightly informed take that smart kind of carried himself and saw himself as like, you know what, I'm I'm probably as good as anybody else in this team. And it's just never been the case offensively. And then I yeah. went through those numbers because I always felt like, how come the games where he just fires up, does it look like they have no chance? And he that definitely became a better three-point shooter. But there were still games where you're like, why are you the one taking that shot? You have to be kidding me. Yeah. And he would do it all the time. And then over seven uh, seven season thing that I looked at, splits, wins, and losses, it, it was unbelievable that I think six... It was emphatically more shots with a like when his shot attempts went up, winning percentage went down, and then right. the inverse was true as well. And there was one year where it was sort of flat. So I'm like, so this actually is backed up over the course of his entire career. Um, there were real conversations about trying to figure out what the trade market was for him. And I know this blows Celtics fans' minds, but it wasn't super awesome. They valued him way more than anyone else valued him. Right. One, and, one interesting thing, because they would talk the organization, you know, they talked to everybody. And one thing is like the old Celtics all fucking love smart. Like KG and Pearson, those guys, they were like, that's the guy. He could have easily played for our 08 Celtics team. So there, there was always this, no, 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 this, this guy is great. But it, it was always a question of, well, if he's your two guard, what does that mean? I, I think what's changed is now that he's the point guard, that's what's unlocked this whole defensive thing where there's just no one to hunt. There's no Kemba Walker, you know, that entire Miami series. Remember that? They were just, they, they were at the fucking gun range throwing, throwing ducks up and shooting them with Kemba. Oh, wait, where is he? Oh, uh, Harry, you got him. That You can't do that with the Celtics team. And that's why I go back to what we talked about at the beginning. The defense of the Celtics team, I think, should be the story of this series and not what happened to Kevin Durant and, oh, my God. And I, I just think, we're talking about potentially, and we'll see, we'll know more next round when they go against Milwaukee, but potentially they could ride this defense for four rounds. I did not think this team could, I thought they could make the finals. I didn't think they could beat Phoenix, but the way they're playing, how hard they're playing, how competitive they are, how much they trust each other. I think it's on the table now. And the Vegas agrees. They, they have, I think the number two best odds in Vegas now. Yeah, and all those projections that I thought were crazy, and I still thought it was insane to have Boston with a better projection of winning the finals than Phoenix, which was still happening right <laughs> big, before the big, big win for the nerds. I was just like, this is this is nuts. Yeah, the and nerds now, do. By the way, with the Phoenix part of this and the uncertainty around Booker, and Phoenix isn't even playing that well, by the way, in this series. Uh, there's some other numbers. They're not shooting the ball at all. Uh, their defense is below its standard as well, but Chris Paul and Aiton are just, you know, they, they were terrific in game three. So I don't know how much we're going to do in this because I know we have another one coming here tonight. But with the Booker part of this and what Golden State looks like when it's rolling, Mm. I I don't think we should just be saying Phoenix blindly all the time. I I just don't. I think that's the number two thing that's changed for me during this round is so suspicious of, all right, what is Curry going to look like? And I know they lost today, but Curry looks 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 like Curry again. He's beating everybody off the dribble and he's hopping around and he's doing his thing. It's weird. I don't love their defense. 
as much as I want to, because the big thing is I think Clay has just slipped a little on that end. I know offensively he's really good today, but there's a play in the fourth quarter. He he had Bones. Bones was at on the side, kind of isolated on him. He just went right by Clay. That's just there's no way that happens in 2016, 17, 18. Pick a year of the 2010s. He's still good. He's still obviously smart, but I think. I think they're going to miss that in one of these rounds of like, all right, Chris, let's say they're playing Phoenix. Chris Paul's going off. Who, Which guy in our team is going to guard Chris Paul right now? And I'm not positive they have that guy anymore. Well, you probably have to sacrifice something with Gary Payton, but how can you put the other three guys out there and then have it be around trading on, you know, like that would take Wiggins off. Maybe they put Wiggins on him just to try to put some size on him. I think Wiggins, matter. I think Wiggins, yeah. if they play Phoenix, I think, I think you're right. I think Payton plays more minutes and I think Wiggins played. I mean, Wiggins today was an iconic Wiggins game where <laughs> he makes he that dunk. It's a sweet problem. The follow-up alley-oop that he somehow misses and then um, for whatever reason, they run that weird alley-oop for him. But I, I thought they should have swept him. With that said, I was impressed by Denver because that was a nice rollover spot. That team's shown a lot of fight. I actually had a, a Denver question for you. You have a Denver take? Yeah, I actually do have a Denver take. You ready? Is Denver the NBA's most misused asset? Like, they have this game today, and it's like, what, 50% Warriors fans? This team's been around since the ABA. That was crazy What today. the fuck? Denver's an awesome place to live. I love Colorado. They had There's great state tax stuff. It's not much different than Florida. It could be a free agent destination. Tax rate, you say? Tax rate. Everything... <laughs> Every people are just chill there. Everything's legal there. Gambling's legal there. Drugs are legal there. It's a great place to live. Wait, they can't get fifteen thousand fans at a basketball game? What the fuck? Uh, have you been to Denver lately? Have you talked to friends who live in Denver? Because first of all, they're telling you that it's all California people now. Yeah, so, everyone moved there to escape <laughs> so the taxes. I don't think it's that the Nuggets don't have an awesome fan base because they do. I think that it has way more to do with the the transient population that, that we're looking Interesting. at. Well, so yes. why did why didn't that bother the Warriors? Now you're making excuses for Denver like I was making excuses for KD a half hour ago. I am a KD apologist, I guess. I'm sorry. No, I don't think your KD points are wrong, but do you think that I'm... I guess I'm just saying like... I think you're I, a Denver apologist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I cannot defend S- 6th Street. Sell out your fucking arena. It's a, yeah. You're trying to avoid a sweep. Where are all these Warriors fans coming from? I think they probably just bought him on on the secondary. Now you know. Market. I went to game one with my dad. The two guys next to him. Oh yeah, that Sarudi points out the local TV market. They can't even like see the games. So that's not great. Is that the altitude thing? Some weird TV deal. I'm just telling you. A lot of people are moving to Colorado, and they have been for years. Check the home prices right now. It's out of mm. control. And Denver has been building on itself for a decade plus where the point was like, how are they keep building all of this stuff? Like there can't be enough jobs to support all this housing. This is ridiculous. And yet it just keeps going up and up and up. And I think a good chunk of that was reflected with people with the money that goes, screw it. I'm going to live in Denver, outside of Denver, Cherry Creek, shout out. Uh, and now they're buying up tickets to going to those games. I mean, look, did you see Brooklyn yesterday? I heard it was about 35% Celtic fans yesterday from multiple accounts. That was the word in the street, Rosilla. Probably like a little more than one third. It was loud. It was loud in there. And they were was, loud and they were yeah. real fans and they were ready to rock and roll. I just like Denver. Like 
I think the Broncos are going to go for some crazy price, right? When the Broncos, whatever the final version of that is. I feel the same way about the Nuggets that I did about the Suns and the Warriors, where you have this half-century legacy of basketball. You're in good cities. You have fans that have had some some memories. They've had some really good players. And when people bought the Warriors in 2012, when it was Lake up in that group, people thought they overpaid. It was like, why they overpay? They, they're going to be able to, you know, they're going to be these courtside, all the Silicon Valley money, like they, that thing's going to be a money machine if they can get the team right. And what you're saying about Denver, I agree with. Like with all the people moving there, maybe Denver could be the next Golden State. This is but, not good enough to be a social breakout in the ringer, but I do think like, <laughs> I just feel like, I feel like there's some upside with the Nuggets. I was bummed out that they had somebody Warrior fans there. Uh, anyway. I, I love Denver and you're right. Anybody that's ever played, I, couple guys that I knew that played for the Rockies, one Bronco, a uh, couple guys in the Avs, and um, they all love it. They all love it. Like Some of them maybe weren't even sure, and they're like, this city is awesome. And it was set up really yeah. well. I mean, anybody that's been extended, I even thought about no, the no ocean thing is a deal breaker for me, but um, we'll do real, real estate speculation maybe more on part two. So I'm going to stop myself from talking about Denver. Maybe, maybe a spinoff. I mean, we spun off there's F1 now in the ringer. Maybe we do real estate speculation. Rosillo uh, weekly. Do you <laughs> Rizzillo, uh, Do you like Denver more next year than Golden State, Phoenix, or Memphis if their guys are back in 100%? Because I still have them in the slot in the fourth spot. They don't defend well enough. It, it continues to be a thing with them where they don't. And you could say, well, look, if they had Murray and Michael Porter Jr. I don't know Michael Porter Jr. screams defensive lockdown, although, you know, certainly better than the disastrous beginning, beginning to it. I, how about how about when they pulled Jokic for the offense defense? I was like, oh, my God, here we go. This is oh, going to be. Twitter just, yeah. Uh, MVP, offense defense, what? Do you realize what he did? He said from his seat, if you go back and watch that play before they inbounded, he goes, it's a lob. It's a lob. Yeah, they showed him. Yeah, so and then it actually, he, it proves then he his set value. Up both baskets. <laughs> yeah, I still have them fourth. Right, fourth. Yeah, I, what about Minnesota? What, wait, no, maybe, what if Minnesota. Maybe, I'm saying like ceiling four. I still have those other three ahead of them, unless Phoenix gets stupid with eight in this summer. Who the fuck knows what they have? Um, before we go, because I guess this is the Eastern Conference podcast. We're headed toward Boston, Milwaukee. Seems like we're headed toward Philly, Miami. We'll know more. Uh, we're taping right now. It's nineteen nineteen Miami, Atlanta. We'll know. We'll be able to cover that more in part two. But I would assume Miami is going to win this series. But I'm what, looking at Kyle Lowry in a sweatshirt right now. And the moment he went out of that game, I felt like the series, you could feel it shift a little bit. Philly, Toronto. So Embiid has this thumb injury. It's the same injury that Jalen Brown had last year that Jalen Brown said, fuck it. And the Celtics were like, yes, fuck it. We need you healthy for next season. He just had the surgery to play. And Bede is going to gut it out. It's a shooting hand. It's a real thing. Uh, I didn't think he looked the same yesterday. He didn't look, it wasn't like noticeably. It wasn't terrible. It, but it, wait, right. he does not look, he did not look the same. The zone that he was in where he's just beating the shit out of everybody did not seem like that same and beat anymore. Um, I think they've caught a lot of breaks in this series considering Scotty Barnes gets hurt in a blowout in game one. And he was like a shell of himself in game four. And then weirdly, Van Vliet has just been terrible. And I thought Van Vliet, I thought they could have won game three if Van Vliet had hit like one shot. He just couldn't hit a shot down the stretch. Um, Toronto's lingering. There's not a chance we're going back to Toronto for game six, is there? 
unless the Embiid thumb g- thing gets worse. Uh, I'm with you. Van Vliet never really looked right. Then he played only played 15 minutes in Game Four anyway. Yeah. But, no, this was going to have to be Toronto getting out and running, burning Philadelphia in transition. But Philadelphia, Philadelphia is not missing any shots. <laughs> you know, they're they're lighting it up right now. And Tobias Harris, except for Harden. Yeah. Well, it's 38%. His field goal percentage is worse than his three-point percentage, which is always fascinating when that happens. Right. 38%, 39%. He had a play in game four where he went to the rim and he just went up. I was like, let's see if this works. They had no chance. And then he tried to run that ISO three-pointer on the right side where the whole time all he was doing was, I'm just getting this shot up and I'm falling into you, seeing if I can get the call. Yeah, it's um, like he's got like this lurch. It's a little got- like when quarterbacks are just trying to get pass interferences on third and 14. I'm just going to chuck it down, hope my guy makes a play or I go to flag. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it felt like um, from him. But he's still going to have assists because he's really good at passing and he has basketball as much as he had. But Tobias Harris being 18, 10, and 3, and he's 57 and 53%. Yeah. And his defense. There was a couple plays, I think at the end of game three, where they were trying to get it into Siakam. Because, you know, I'm always trying to figure out, like, what is their thing that they want to do? And there's still a lot of times they actually want to switch in Embiid because he's big and they want to make him just try to get away from the rim. So that's really part of it, where when you're attacking Jokic, you know, you're actually just dribbling right past him. Um, which, again, speaks to how fucked up the defensive metrics can be. When yeah. you're telling me Jokic is, like, the guy this year and all these defensive metrics and watching what Golden State's been doing to him, it's like, I mean, again, they had to sit him down for that one last possession there because it was getting yeah. so bad. But there was two plays where they were trying to get at Siakam. Siakam couldn't even get free from Harris off the ball. And then there was another time where he did, and Siakam just gave it back to Van Vliet because he was, this is game three, and I'm like, man, look at that. You know, Siakam bounced back in the next game, but with a big, uh, I think he had 34 in game four. But By the way, everything you're saying right now is going to be when they're trying to trade Tobias Harris two months from now, they're going to actually run the clip of what you just said. When they did the package, when they mail like the PDF with some audio clips, they'll be like, <laughs> Ryan Rosillo, April 24th, The Ringer. And it's just a minute long Tobias Harris thing. He loved Tobias Harris for eight days. Yeah, so even Rosillo noted Tobias Harris detractor. (laughs) Huge fan. Well, people finally figured out after two years when I would just randomly tweet on a Tuesday night, be like, wait, the Sixers have Tobias Harris? And I would just... (laughs) just tweet. I couldn't help myself. Uh, He's on that all-star team with Wiggins. Wait, Wiggins is on this team? Or Towns? Hey, Towns is on this team? <laughs> I don't know that you could say that about Towns anymore. Well, not after not after he reclaimed Although you his, could have said it. Right. You could say He reclaimed his three. NBA yeah. manhood after game four. We'll talk about the West in uh, part two. Uh, the Harden thing. It's funny. If you're the Sixer, I mean, if you're the Nets, do you regret that trade? Do you regret not just playing it out, knowing that the Harden Simmons trade is probably sitting there in the offseason? Or do you feel I, I, like you no, had no, to just no, get no. rid of him? No, you had to get rid of him. This is a this is the part of the the, the Nets thing that I will defend the Nets on because yeah. I've seen a few people. Again, when I say this, I mean like other people that are opinion people going, "Hey, you know what would have been nice on this team is James Harden, not the fucking Sacramento Kings game, James Harden." Yeah, true. So you're what right, are you you're supposed right. he made to it do? A, it's a great you, point. He made you, it untenable. You are in the building with this guy every day. You know how much worse it even is than us watching League Pass. And he decides, I'm out. And even if you're like on the fence of, is he really doing this? Yeah, he is. Because we just saw it 13 months ago when he was in Houston. So you can't make that argument by acting like the Nets screwed up the trade because whatever, even a diminished version of Harden, which is who he is now, still provides somebody you have to defend, a threat, is going to make good plays. Um, 
because it still hasn't been great with it. It's just completely unfair to Brooklyn because you're not being you're not being fair about what it was towards the end of that run. I think he would have helped the Nets defense. Oh no, he would have somehow made it even worse. I mean, the Nets defense, Jesus. I feel the worst I feel for anybody involved, even in the collateral damage of all this, is Seth Curry. Where he was just in the, you know, so rarely as an NBA player do you just end up in the right spot. You're in the right team. You're being used correctly. They're using all the best pieces of you. And now all of a sudden you're in Brooklyn on this team that uh, has no wings at all. You have to guard these bigger guys. Nobody runs anything for you. Or if they do, it's just you getting tossed the ball or you're in the corner. And it's just a bummer to watch because I like Seth Curry. That's my, I like Seth, that's Curry, my Seth Curry take. Yeah. Um, before we go, I have some NBA nerd stuff for you. And then we're, this is it. We're really wrapping. I went through it. I actually went through the 89 Pistons, 91 Bulls, 99 Spurs, 04 Pistons, 08 Celtics. Try to figure out like, were there some nerd stuff that were good signs? So points per game in the playoffs. All those teams were best with like opponents' points per game. All of them were first, except for the 08 Celtics who were second. All of them were either first or second in opposing field goal percentage. The rebounding of the opposing team, Pistons were second, Bulls first, Spurs sixth, which was weird, Pistons fourth, 08 Celtics first. And the reason I bring this up is like, all right, a good defense isn't just your, your field goal percentage is down, points are down, but you're also, you're protecting the boards. Well, another thing is pace. For pace, Pistons first, Bulls first, Spurs seventh, Pistons second, Celtics fifth. The pace is good because that means you're not giving up transition, you're slowing it down, you're in control or whatever. Defensive rating, all of them were first except for the 08 Celtics who were second. Um, if you're talking about elite players, Rodman and Dumar and 89 Pistons. MJ, Grant, Pippen. I'm talking about defenders. 99 Spurs, Robinson, and Duncan. 04 Pistons, Wallace, Prince, Billups, and the other Wallace did four. And then the 08 Celtics, Garnett, and Pierce. And then if you're thinking about the last piece of like a great defense, and this is why I don't think the Celtics are there yet and the stats aren't there yet, but they have a chance, is like, is there some sort of identity like, like, we both love basketball. You look back at these teams. I think, like, that 89 Pistons team is like, man, that team, what a fucking bitch that team was. Super physical. Rodman could guard anybody. Dumars was the best defensive guard in the league. Like, th whatever style you had, they had five guys that could stop you. 91 Bulls, Jordan, Pippen, Grant. Just, like, a, very similar in a lot of ways to what the Celtics have now with the um, Tatum Brown smart thing. We're just, like, interchangeable, awesome, fast, Incredible athletes, just a pain in the ass to play. 99 Spurs had the Robinson Duncan thing. Just two long dudes who were just crazy athletes. 04 Pistons, I mentioned them, the four elite things. Could the Celt Do the Celtics have an identity? I think they do, which I think is a good sign for this discussion if they can get there. They're 13 wins away from winning the finals, which is a fucking two months. So you could have injuries, all these different things. What I saw in those first three games was an identity forming in a real way that wasn't a regular season identity. This was like, this is now a recipe that works in the playoffs that we've seen a bunch of times over the years. And it feels like they're tapping into this and they understand that this is happening. If you read all the quotes, it's like, hmm, something's happening here. Anyway, that's, that's, a, that's my nerd rant. What do you think? 
it's it's just so funny to think that like this is all happening after it wasn't for the longest time <laughs> right you know like to sit and watch the Celtics game be like oh I trust that they're going to respond to the challenge the physical and mental challenge here I trust that they will now respond after not trusting it for about yeah. 200 games I trust so, that they're going to be tough right and the only thing I could think of whether it's Brown kind of understanding that you're going to have to be the two you know is that that felt like that was a struggle Tim, mm. you're going to have to understand that like even though you're the best you have to figure out a way to both get get 30 but not force it and know when to when to get somebody else involved smart and we're going to need you to guard the best right. forward on the other team and that's how we're going to win right smart you're going to make plays but you're not going to initiate the offense like we need the ball being zipped around um and it's not going to be you driving and isoing and, and high ball screens all the time. Like you're going to have to really defer offensively. And oh, by the way, like Al Horford, you're going to have to get back to where you're going to be able to stay in front of guys at 35 years old. Grant, you have to now be a really good draft pick. Rob Williams, you have to be a good draft pick. Pritchard, you have to be a good after being buried the first half of the season. So then it's the other thing is that Ainge sucked, Ainge sucked. It's like, oh, look at that Nets trade. He didn't get anything. And you're like, well, first of all, he got Tatum out of it and Jalen Brown. So like that, that was one of the, you know what I mean? And then you add in all the other things like, yeah, it sucks. Sacramento ended up having a better record. Memphis had a better record. And the other picks didn't end up being as much. Um, the la- well, but- think about think about on that point for a second, Romeo Langford versus Pritchard or Romeo Langford versus Grant Williams and then Neesmith versus Pritchard where the guy who was taken 12, 13 spots later ended up being the guy that they were hoping they would be getting with that 13, 14th pick, right? Absolutely. Just for whatever right. reason, it was just a bizarre version of, oh, my, but it still weirdly worked out. But then to have it all happen, I, you know, granted spending time with, with two teenage boys this week, mm. I, I think it'd be, here's a good one for you. It'd be the analogy of like, you, you've got a couple daughters, you get a son and one, the guy's always breaking curfew, you know, daughter's always on her phone. The other daughter just never does her homework or whatever. And then just collectively out of nowhere, the same week, all three of them, like your son started coming home on time. Your other daughter was making sure she, and then the other one was like, you know, I want to get a flip flow. That's what the Celtics team is like. Just, just all the things that were pissing you off about the different pieces. Mm. They all just decided at the same time. And that's, that's really why, you know, whether it's Yudoka or the team, like I just, it's hard to find a way to give them more credit. We'll see what happens. Uh, because it's going to be Milwaukee and it's going to be a guy that physically is a little different challenge right now than anybody else in the league. And a team that is pretty well equipped to at least figure out how to solve him and not only just build in the wall, but really be physical with him and just try to see if they can wear him down over the course of time. I It'll be, I was really excited for this Nets Celtics series, which seems like it might end abruptly. Bucks Celtics, the no Middleton thing is a huge break for them. And that's another thing with the Celtics team, at least so far, you think all the breaks that went against them, they've caught some major breaks. The Harden thing, just self-combusting. It's an amazing break. No Ben Simmons. Amazing. The fact that Harden's not the same guy that he was before. Um, the injury part the of line. this is crazy. The Chris Middleton piece. Middleton, you've got Embiid, which I, you know, I'm never quite sure. Is this one of those things you actually can go ahead and play with or whatever? Whatever it is, is going to be diminished. It's not the same guy. And if there's one knock, and I don't, you know, the big thing about all this Jokic social media shit is I don't really want to get involved because I don't want to have to say anything shitty about Embiid. I don't want to have to make a point. Yeah. But, you know, this is someone, even in the <laughs> game winner. Beat. Right. I, I do too. But, you know, Jokic gets stripped by Draymond and it's like, ah, oh, this is your MVP. This is your king. And 
you're like, you realize before MB threw in the Hail Mary, he got stripped by Precious Achua, yeah. right, right, right before. And I think Embiid at times trying to force it against those doubles, like doesn't always hang out of the ball as well. Like it's, it's a you know, Sixers fans know it. And so now you're like, well, shit, how's this injury going to impact that? You've got the Booker part of it. You've got Doncic who, you know, we knew he was going to come back in this round. He's not somebody who's great defensively. He doesn't need to move fast on offense, but defensively he's a, he's a turnstile right now. So yeah. we already have like four or five major injuries and the Celtics have really only dealt with the Rob Williams thing. And, and he's back after being out since March 27th. It's look, we'll leave on this note and then we'll go to part two uh, a few hours from now. But man, I said it at the time. I continue to say it. I just value having the higher seed and I value having these home games when you really need them. Like you think like Milwaukee, they ducked this Brooklyn team, which seems kind of crazy now in retrospect that they not only ducked this Brooklyn team, but were perfectly willing to potentially play a game seven in Boston. It was like they simultaneously overrated Brooklyn and underrated the Celtics, you know, and all they did was win one game and they had game two at home. And I think they would have wiped the floor with Brooklyn. You know, just I just wonder if team. they were they were spooked by last year. So Maybe it was hard for that because I still think Brooklyn was kind of hard to evaluate going into it. Like even if we're talking about eleven minutes between, I guess the, uh, the main guys all season long, right? Harden, KD, and Kyrie was it? They played eleven minutes. No, yeah, no, that's no. Pretty weird. That all wasn't right. it. Was sixteen games? That's what it was combined the last two years. Do you? 89 Pistons, 91 Bulls, 99 Spurs, 04 Pistons. I think that's my Mount Rushmore for the last 35 years. I think the 08 Celtics are close. And I think the 15 Warriors are close. Is there anybody else you would have? Because I feel like that's everybody. The 16 Warriors, was the 15 Warriors the best defensive team out of all of those teams? Because that team was yeah, basically... Was. That was Iggy at his absolute... Right. And that Draymond was about a four-year run. 19 was the year they slipped a little defensively, which is usually to be yeah. expected because the same group's just not going to be the same. Um, I'll go 4 Better Pistons version of Bogut. I've never seen anything like the 4 Pistons in that all five guys could switch. Like, Chauncey right. could hold up in the post and Ben Wallace could go out and chase guys. And then you had all these other switchable pieces. And that was it's but that's another if, team that people slept on in the moment the lakers were heavily favored with that series people kept waiting and it was a little similar to this brooklyn series where it became all this iso stuff and kobe taking bad shots and the role guys you know that was the Me slava medvedenko we did a book of basketball podcast about that series um but a little similar, like until the bitter end, people are like, and then it was like, oh, the 04 Pistons, they're actually, whoa, they were, and it was like, yeah, that was there the whole time. They were playing that Pacers series. Remember, it was like 72 to 71 <laughs> finals. It was just the all-time defensive slugfest. Yeah, they don't get enough credit probably because, you know, Agree. To, be in, to be in the Eastern Conference finals as many years as they were, but it almost feels a little Ravens-esque where I still think that Ravens defense of 20 years ago is the best defense I've ever seen. I know there's other teams that have graded out better statistically. I, I, I agree. Like that Ravens team looked like, when you were watching them every Sunday, it felt like they had 13 guys on defense. It was unbelievable. Like it was anytime, my favorite Super Bowl bet I've ever made. It's It was, so that might be it for Detroit, where even though there's a longer run historically of success because they were in so many Eastern Conference Finals um, so many years in a row, when you only have the one title, 
you know, maybe maybe you just don't get remembered the same way as, as some of those other teams defensively. And a lot of it has to do with my age and how I was processing things. And, you know, was I really picking up how you were handling a fucking ball screen when I'm 11? No. Uh, am I going to my dad? I really like the Lakers switchability with, with Jamal Wilkes, you know, like, you know, so I'm not, I just know that at that point watching that Lakers series against Detroit, even just Detroit in general, not even that finals, you were like, holy shit. Like if Chauncey, if you think like, cause they used to do more of that stuff back then where they'd try to switch. It wasn't so much always attacking a big off the dribble. It was let's, let's get a small guy in the post because you're yeah. still running so much post offense. And then somebody would get Chauncey and you'd be like, oh, you notice that like Chauncey doesn't give up any ground. Well, you know what the best case for them is? They literally changed the rules that summer because of how good that Pistons team was defensively and some of the some of the the, the direction the league was going. They only gave up 80.7 points a game in the playoffs that year. Think about that. 80.7. Yeah, thank God that that stretches over. Thank God. And they had four league guys. All right, we're wrapping this up. That's the end of part 1. We're going to come back for part 2. Atlanta just took the lead over Miami. Atlanta-Miami would be fun. I hope this goes seven. I guess we'll talk about that in part two. Uh, thanks to Kyle Creighton. Thanks to Steve Cerruti. Thanks to Dylan Berkey. Uh, any predictions for tonight before we go? You want to get anything on the record? You worried yeah. about the Pelicans and your guy and against your sons? Oh, God. Are you kidding me? Do you know how happy I was? That was at all time. All time. Oh, the CP? Yeah. All we'll time. do some CP stuff today. Today. Part one was a little Boston heavy, but I think it was warranted. They've chance to sweep Brooklyn. Feels like a big story. Call me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little Boston heavy. I think some people would agree, but well, look, that's why we got the two parters here. Where there's plenty. plenty of, you know what? I, pre- I predict this. I will have moments where I'll go, I don't know about Trey Young. And then there'll be a moment where I go, ah. Like it, game three was the ultimate Trey Young. Ultimate, roller, ultimate Trey Young game. Post. Oh my God. Right, he had 10 he, points with like five minutes left. He was terrible. And then I'm like, you know what? Some of this regular season stuff. Then he hits the game winner. And I was like, oh, here we go. That 29-footer he took with like two minutes left, he's on this short list of guys that they could be like two for 100, and he takes a shot like that in that moment, and I'm still terrified if I have money on Miami or a, a Miami yeah. fit. Um, all right. So we'll no, Ra- no, no Lowry thing's a big deal, though, because he's their best... Oh, He's yeah. their best on-off guy through the first three games. Yeah. But. I mean, who could have guessed Kyle Lowry would get hurt during the playoffs? We'll see you uh, for part two in a few hours. <laughs>